Welcome to the MI Hunting Podcast. This week we're just going to do a little update on kind of the things that have going on through spring as we get into summer and what's to come. All right, welcome back. So this week is going to be kind of a quick one. Uh, I know for you that have been following along, I did miss uh, last week episode, kind of that busy time of the year where uh, my time management just wasn't where it should be uh, to be able to record a podcast for last week. So I'm going to just kind of do a quick update of what I've been up to and kind of what's to come for the podcast and what some things that you should be focusing on um, as you know, we've getting into summer, you know, really it's been, it's been kind of hectic. Uh, I'm not going to lie. It's, you know, we've just gotten done with, uh, turkey season has been this a little over a week now. Uh, you know, kind of what I explained, you know, earlier on a separate podcast where, you know, I got my butt kicked when it came to turkeys, you know, basically I, the only time I saw any, uh, anything with a beard was when I was either driving down the road and that was about it, or like in it, it heading into my heading into work or something like that. Um, every time I went out, it, I ran into hens, but nothing with a beard. So, you know, I didn't even hunt the entire season. I transitioned into um, going out fishing. You know, my kids were really, you know, chomping at the bit to be able to go out and go do some fishing. Uh, so we've done that a couple times. You know, they have a blast with that. I really do think that uh, the kids are going to be more into fishing than hunting which i am perfectly okay with that hey if they love fishing and don't you know have any interest in going out hunting you know that's great too uh, and then you know this is a time of year where a lot of the food plot work is getting done uh, you know if you've planted your spring food plots you know throughout the summer hopefully you've gotten those into the ground already uh, before it gets a little bit too much into the you know that dry period with summer um, i actually just got uh, done planting my summer cover crop and then I also did try um, planting a bit of like a summer a summer food plot uh, along with a little bit of like a screening uh, mix to it uh, essentially uh, my my primary fall food plot is kind of like in a U shape so there's this middle section that I try to you know have it have some taller stuff in the middle that way when the deer are in the food plot they can't necessarily see the entire field all at once if they want to come if they want to see what's on the other side of it they do have to commit and come across um, essentially so you know you can't you don't have that buck that can just kind of peek his head out through the you know through the wood line and see the entire field if he wants to see the other side he's got to come across to take a look at that so with that mix you know i did get it planned a little bit later than i wanted to but the rain forecast just wasn't there uh, that first week of June I typically like to so I did get it done this past weekend along with uh, my buckwheat cover crop so I did do a complete no-till this year and only using broadcast uh, technique so I didn't use like a, dr a grain drill or anything like that I just broadcasted my seed into the um, previous you know fall food plot that I'd grown up and then I the same day as soon as I got done spread my seed i ended up you know coming through uh, and we, we i was initially going to use my four-wheeler but my four-wheeler is not working right now so i was going to borrow my cousin's tractor um and he was going to come out and help me 
he ended up not really wanting to, you know, utilize a tractor because of the time and time and whatnot it would take to, you know, get it all loaded up and everything like that. And he'd have to get a different trailer to do so. So we were initially gonna just use his Ranger truck and, you know, use that. I ultimately decided that, you know, why don't we just use the you know, farm truck that's down on the property. So I ended up uh, buying a brand new 40 gallon uh, sprayer with a boom on it. And ultimately what we did was we took the tailgate off the back of the truck, strapped the sprayer to the back of the truck or in the bed of the truck there and used that as we drove through the field, spraying all of the, uh, the uh, foliage from the fall food plot down. I actually hooked up uh, my roller. It's just basically a cheap yard roller um, that doesn't even have like any ribs in it for crimping or like a standard cult packer or anything like that. Uh, just because I, you know, I wanted some type of roller, but I didn't have the money at the time to invest in, you know, a really nice one. So we hooked that up to the hitch of the truck, and we drove the truck through the field in circles until everything was sprayed and rolled down. It worked pretty well. Unfortunately, though, I am a little nervous about that process because I ended up with a lot more uh, growth than I had anticipated. Uh, I'm not sure if it's just because of you know the time frame when I got to it that that um, all that foliage really was grown up. I mean, there was some of the plants that were as tall as me um, that I was spreading my you know seed into, and then there there was still a lot of thatch and like the debris from the previous year in some areas. Uh, so I don't know how good of you know seed to soil contact that some of that stuff really got. So this was kind of um, I guess it's going to turn into another experimental year to see what the limitations of doing this no-till um, with the amount of you know growth from the fall food plot you know letting it grow up as much as it did and to see if you know broadcasting is still sufficient now certainly you if you had a drill or some type of grain drill or something like that to be able to get that so those seeds into the ground and then roll everything over and then kill it you know, you would have a much better germination rate uh, just because you, you're guaranteed that good seed to soil contact. So with this additional thatch and, you know, the additional growth that I had, it will have to see, I guess. Uh, it will be interesting to see how much of the seeds um, through the middle part grow up because uh, it did, you know, did have quite a mix of different seeds. Honestly, I think it ended up, I didn't even do a true count, but it's probably somewhere between 10 to 15 different seed varieties that I've mixed in there. You know, some short stuff, some tall stuff, a lot of annual, like clover, you know, peas. Uh, I did throw some sunflower in there, sun hemp, uh, you know, for that height and whatnot. And then also some, you know, grain sorghum and whatnot, trying to get some stuff that is taller, uh, just try to break up that that food plot a little bit so we'll have to see in the coming weeks as to how the germination rate looks and you know ultimately how well that buckwheat does for my cover crop you know if for whatever reason that that thatch and everything was just too thick and you know the the seeds don't you know germinate or don't have enough energy to pop through all that thatch um, for me you know knocking everything down um, I may have to uh, till sometime this summer if it doesn't come up but we'll have to wait and see on that uh, I got a feeling that some of it will come up but it won't come up completely so I may I may end up tilling this year and then 
ultimately if that's the case then i am going to kind of transition my practice a little bit um, instead of going to a full no-till just because i don't have all the equipment to make sure it works the best uh, i'll probably in years to come i'll probably till under the fall food plot end of may first of june throw down my summertime you know split or screening type food plot in the middle do my buckwheat with a nice you know clean seabed let that grow up that can act as a cover crop or and then i terminate that for uh, in preparation for my fall food plot and then that can act as you know my thatch or my mulch for that fall food plot so i will probably till i probably will start to till at least once a year but i will also be adding a summertime cover crop that i will not be tilling into my fall so hopefully by doing that practice you know that tilling will allow a good seabed first the you know going into summer but then by not tilling the rest of the year and allowing that uh organic matter to build up in that soil hopefully it still continues to build but we'll just have to see on that i'm it, this is really uh, i don't know i'm, I'm I'm worried sometimes about how um, open I am to just experimenting with this food plot process and how I do it. Uh, Cause if it ends up being a total fail, it does end up starting to come up, become a little expensive, but I want to find out what works the best in every situation that I run into that way. If I do have a situation come up, I know, you know, the best course of action going forward. That way I don't end up with an absolute failure of a fall food plot and don't have a good crop you know good for you know going into hunting season and into the winter time for the deer as well and then the next thing that um really the summertime is good for is just kind of you know at this point i go through and start reevaluating, you know kind of what my game plan was or how things went from the previous season and start figuring out what i'm going to be doing differently this year so you know in regards to the my you know the private ground that i hunt on you know it i did a lot of work this winter uh cutting down a bunch of old and dead dying trees there was a bunch of ash in there that got pretty significant ash for us like i almost cleaned out all the ash in the area and then there were some you know very mature um you know starting to get hollowed out um popples as well that i cut down and just thin that area out uh, and that's come in very well so far this spring by allowing a lot more sunlight to get down uh, to the forest floor. There's a bunch of new green, you know, growth in there. You know, I left a lot of, I left a couple of the bigger trees in there. So there's tops in there. There's lots of cover and there's lots of new plants coming up. A lot of forbs and grasses and lots of new shrubs and everything like that. And that's going to hopefully um, be very uh, attractive uh, you know certainly throughout the summer and then hopefully into the fall months as well when i went down and you know kind of walked around took a look at it uh, i actually uh, had bumped a doe that was bedding in the area or in that spot which i know in years past you know before i did these cuts it was too open it was essentially a closed canopy forest area where yeah there was shade there but there was no growth there's no you know significant structure for uh, deer to really feel feel secure in there now there's some cedars off to the side that they would bed into but never in this more open area and i bumped one out of them that was laying right next to one of the treetops um, that i had left 
So certainly, you know, the does and what and the fawns will use that throughout the summer. And then, but I'm hoping that it does grow up with enough woody brows and whatnot that that it will be continue to be utilized um, during the fall months. You know, that's right near where I have a tree stand and it's right on the edge of, of the main field um, of the farm where I'm gonna be planting one of my fall food plots. So it'll be, you know, in close proximity to a good food source. So I'm hoping that does turn into a uh, utilized, you know, bedding area uh, during the hunt season. Um, just being able to hopefully draw those deer in and allow for more deer to be on the property um, and not have it feel like it's overcrowded. But I do spend quite a bit more time hunting on uh, the state land or public land there. You know, just because um, it's a little bit closer to my private land and so I do focus a lot on the state land. So at this time of year, I start looking at e-scouting or map scouting. You know, this is the time frame where you start looking at if you're, you know, if you hunted some public land before, kind of what what my inner what my observations were, and you know if I had any interactions with any deer, and then kind of going through like, is this an area that I want to look into more. It's just an area that I should abandon, you know, that really wasn't the deer movement that I anticipated. And then looking into, uh, you know, other areas that I want to hunt. Now, you know, I'm not going to get in too much in the detail with this. I do want to save this for another episode of going over kind of my uh, scouting process and what I'm ultimately looking for when I scout. This last year, I was actually very successful. The two main areas that I or actually I take it back two out of three um, areas that I scouted showed tremendous potential and when I did hunt them I actually had several interactions I actually you know had several encounters with legal bucks I actually drew back on one that had uh he must uh he must have been uh count as lucky stars because as I drew back at him he actually turned the face directly at me I'm holding there full draw thinking that, okay, he's probably going to turn one way or the other and present a shot. This deer looked back over his shoulder and completely did a 180 in one fluid motion and started walking directly away from me, not presenting the shot. So that would have been one of my very first uh, public land bucks with a bow, but I missed that opportunity just because as he just moved just right. And then another spot that I found again same thing you know the one the very first sits there the deer did exactly what i thought they would they were coming off of a field that was several hundred yards away they're cut through this basically the swamp into this little old flat area these does came through so i really didn't know exactly the caliber of deer that were in there but certainly there was a buck in the area um, just by the sign so going forward i am going to look at some other you know potential spots i have kind of picked out some on uh, my mapping to where you know I'm gonna here in the next few weeks take a look at and kind of walk around look for you know past sign and whatnot see if there's anything that's uh, something I want to you know revisit as it gets closer to the season but again I want to go over that on the next on another episode just because of you know going through all the steps and whatnot and I don't want this one to get too lengthy because um, my previous one did get a little long and then certainly during the summertime, this is the best time. Um, if you haven't already, again, get that bow out, start practicing, go through your tuning, make sure everything is 
lined up. You know, certainly is a good time to get your boat into the bow shop before it gets too late. Once you start getting close to August, September time, you know, those bow shops are going to get very busy and you may have a hard time of, you know, getting the boat in and out because um, it'll be such a backlog of, you know, people that want to get their bows set up uh, for the upcoming season. So I generally you know, recommend get it in there sooner than later. That way you can get the work done and then that way you can get to practicing with it all tuned up and ready to go for you. So hopefully uh, the Tinker and Test little mini series that I did, uh, you found it beneficial. Maybe you've played around with some of these things. Um, the one thing that I did neglect to mention um, that I kind of, when I listened back when I was doing my editing and whatnot, you know, when I talk about FOC or the front of center, I didn't really specify on kind of what you're looking for or what range that you're looking for. Basically for my setup, I'm looking for anything somewhere between the 12 to 15, maybe 16 um, percent on the high end. You know, basically once I get above that, you know, even with a very light arrow, you start getting into those heavier arrow uh, total weights, just trying to drive that weight forward. So that's the 12 to 15 range seems to be, at least for my bow setup, uh, seems to be that kind of butter zone. Uh, and the year before, before I changed my arrow setup or I added additional point weight or insert weight to my arrows, uh, I calculated it towards about 9%. And that's when, you know, that's kind of why I was looking at it. I was like, okay, you know, my arrows are a little squirrely. So this 9% that I'm sitting at uh, doesn't seem to be quite what I'm looking for. When I added some brass inserts instead of the standard aluminum inserts, that bumped it up to about 12%. Um, front of center and that seemed to really straighten out those arrows they shot much better um, just by adding you know that those brass inserts so um, if you're looking at the FOC and you're kind of questioning as to kind of what how much you're looking for that's uh, kind of where I run and to my understanding that's kind of you know the sweet spot for for most bow setups it'll be you know in regards to practice and whatnot um, I have been working on uh, shooting with both eyes open instead of always closing my non-dominant eye, the one that's not looking through the peep. I'm still optimistic that that's maybe the better solution for me. Um, it, it just seems that, you know, by having that extra eye open, again, it just comes down to where I find that more often than not, I'm closer to my point of aim than when I have been when I close one eye. You know, I don't know if it's, you know, by having both eyes open, I get that better depth perception or, you know, by allowing that more light in, I don't know enough about the science in this regard to really understand why I shoot better this way. Now I do have every now and then, uh, some times where I do have trouble, you know, picking my focal point where Sometimes I'm trying to focus too hard, uh, or at least I feel like I'm focusing too hard on the pin or the target. So I do sometimes get a little bit of double vision, but it doesn't happen every time. And you know, usually a lot of times what I'll do is either close that one or non-diamond eye real quick, or even just kind of squint a little bit, and that focus tends to you know straighten itself out, and then I'm able to execute the shot. So I think I need some additional practice at being able to focus 
I'm where I'm focusing on essentially to where, you know, it'll be more consistent. Cause I do find, you know, even almost every practice session where a couple of shots, I just have a hard time of really, really pinpointing my, my point of aim, um, and being able to focus on the target properly without getting any double vision. Uh, but I have, you know, gone to this point now where I'm starting to move back in my distance. So generally as uh, summer progresses, so again, typically I start in April, but again, I'm getting a little bit starter later start. Uh, so I kind of started out in May. So typically what I do is I start out for the first month of my practice. I start out shooting no more than 20 yards. And again, this is just getting myself familiarized with shooting again. And mostly this point is just trying to build consistency at this close range and then also build up that muscle memory again. Uh, you know, pulling back a bow, you use muscles a little bit differently than most any other motion that you'll do. Uh, so you will notice that, you know, you're not quite in the you know, bow shape essentially. Uh, so I usually start out, you know, shoot anywhere between uh, 10 to 20 arrows. But once I start feeling fatigued or I start noticing that, uh, you know, I'm starting to get a little shaky and whatnot in my hold, uh, then I generally just stop for the day and then, you know, basically come back to the next point. You know, ultimately my goal is to hope to be able to shoot essentially 50 arrows in a session. Uh, you know, once I'm built up to that, then I know I'm pretty close to, you know, bow shaping uh, to where, you know, if I can shoot about 50 arrows and not feel, you know, as I progress through those, you know, volleys of arrows that I'm starting to get tired, I'm starting to get shaky, you know, I'm starting to, you know, get a little bit more, um, you know, wobble in my pin as I'm trying to hold, you know, those are all signs that you may have some little fatigue or some of those stabilizer muscles, um, as you hold, uh, hold back that they may not be quite as strengthened up as you would like them. So that first month I focus on that 20 yard and essentially every month after I move back another 10 yards. So now that we're into June, I've moved back to 30 yards and I'm going to do essentially the same thing where I'm going to, you know, shoot hopefully somewhere around 50 arrows or so. And again, it's just trying to be consistent at that range. And then the following month I'll move back another 10 yards. So I'll move back to 40 and then the 50 and then ultimately, you know, by the end, I want to be, or at least a month before, before the start of archery season, I typically try to be, be able to shoot twice as far as I'm wanting to, uh, you know, shoot for uh, hunting. So, so like last year, you know, my goal was to, you know, really not take any shots further than 30 yards, uh, or at least have most of my setups where I know I'm within 30, you know, 30 yards or less. You know, certainly there are some areas, you know, next to the food plots or on some field edges where, you know, I would shoot out to 40, but the primary goal is get them within 30. So the goal of practicing last year was to be confident and, you know, consistent at least or at least 60 yards. You know, if I'm shooting a relatively small group, consistently hitting where I want to at 60 yards and not getting any flyers or bad shots essentially at that distance, then I know once I move into 30, that I'm well within my comfort of being able to shoot that distance. So typically I would have that, you know, at that range at 60, usually by August and in September, I start mixing up the distances I'm shooting. So I will start changing up the angles. 
I will pick a distance or unknown distance, try to gauge what that distance is, adjust my sight accordingly, and take my shot that way. And see how close to the correct range I was at being able to field judge that um, to my target. You know, I'll do, you know, uh, looking at essentially like a quarter and away shot, a quarter and two shot. I will go up, you know, on my deck and whatnot that's elevated up up on the hill from from my target and shoot shooting down. You know, I really the only thing I really haven't practiced is shooting uphill, uh, just because that's not really, um, you know, in my area where I live. You know, that I would have a hard time shooting uphill because then that would be, you know, shooting towards the up here towards my house or to the neighbor's house. And I'm not, I don't want to do that. So, so that will be, you know, my practice routine going forward. Now, certainly I'm sure everyone's got their own, you know, thing that they do. One thing I'll mention, if, if you're wanting, you know, some additional instruction and whatnot, one that I've followed is, uh, John Dudley, he's a former Olympian, Olympic shooter. He shot for the national team, um, and he's a very, very proficient archer. Um, and he's got a really good, like a, a YouTube series, essentially, that goes over basically from starting from ground one. And that's kind of where I've picked up on kind of my practice routine. Um, part of that comes from his teachings and whatnot. And it really helped me anyways, become much more proficient um, in shooting, you know, it's just that consistency of making sure that you're always in the correct position um, that gives you the best technique. And then he again goes over about how to you can adjust that, you know, based on the individual shooter. Uh, you know, the big thing is whatever you do, as long as it's repeatable, um, that's the important part when it comes to archery. You know, if you have a certain technique and whatnot, as long as you can repeat that exactly, uh, and you are comfortable with it and you shoot proficiently in that way then excellent uh, I'm gonna be actually meeting up with a gentleman this weekend that or this next weekend um, of basically he ended up killing a deer a really nice deer uh, a couple of years ago um, back in 2019 where he uh, we were actually chasing kind of the same bucks um, and he actually got that deer mounted and whatnot. So I'm actually going to be going over there, talking to him a bit. Uh, he, he's kind of undecided right now if he wants to come on to the podcast, um, you know, because he's new to the idea of a podcast and whatnot. But uh, it will it will be fun just to be able to talk with him, take a look at that deer that he got, because uh, I actually had one encounter with that deer the year prior. Uh, he was literally right under my stand for about ten minutes in the dark so as that light was starting to you know come in in the morning he eventually started walking off just as it was starting to get light so he was essentially walking off and then i was finally able to see him well enough to truly identify him and sure enough it was him uh so he was just uh you know he, a fun deer that i had chased for several years um and ultimately the neighbor ended up getting him um but he's an old family friend so He's agreed to let me, you know, be able to talk to him about that buck, take a look at it, just that fun history. And I want to hear his story. Um, and he's one of those guys that he's done a ton of hunting. So uh, he's going to be really fun to be able to talk to um, and go through his history uh, hunting and just take a look at all the deer that he's been able to harvest over the years. Um, I've, I've been over to his place, you know, several years ago. 
um, and he's got quite the collection. So it'll be fun to talk to him. So hopefully he agrees to be able to come on so you guys can hear those stories as well. And hopefully he's got some inside information that can help us all in this coming season and seasons to come as well. So that just wraps up, about wraps it up with this one here. Um, I actually need to get out and uh, help my wife here get some yard work done and get some cleanup done for the house because we've got a busy weekend ahead. So, so hopefully this uh, uh, this gives you a, a little idea of what's to come and some things that maybe you should be focusing on throughout the summer as well. Get kind of get you in gear and whatnot uh, to start getting some work done. You know that prep part is i think really the most important part of you know the hunt season you know this is the time where you put in the work um, and get everything prepared that way when you go into see the hunting season you're fully prepared and you are, can just focus on the task at hand um, with a plan going forward so take this time to get those summertime chores done get prepared for the hunting season to come and we will talk to you next week.